So here we are. We're in the season of Lent. It kind of snuck up on us, or at least that's how I feel sometimes. It's like you blink after Christmas, and you have the months of January and February, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it's Lent, and we're like almost to Easter. We're six weeks away from Easter. So this is the first Sunday of Lent. This season that we call Lent is a season of preparation. We're preparing for the cross, we're preparing for the death of Jesus, but we're also preparing for the resurrection and for the empty tomb and for all the hope that comes with that. So this this season, this 40 days that we're starting, that we started on Ash Wednesday, that we're now in the midst of, is a season that's meant to be spiritually grounding for us. A season that gives us a chance to, to hit the reset button spiritually and maybe emotionally and in, in, in our lives with with the hopes that by the time we reach Holy Week, that last week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus and ultimately the resurrection, that by the time we reach that point, because we have been preparing, that we will be as ready as we can possibly be to walk that week faithfully as we walk with Jesus closer and closer to the cross. So to help us do that this year, Mike and I decided that we were going to cover the last words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Traditionally, it's called the seven last words of Jesus. So across all of the Gospels, Jesus says a total of seven phrases from the cross. So that's what's going to organize our sermons and our thinking during the season of Lent. And we're going to use a book to help us do that. It's called Seven Words, Listening from Christ to the Cross. If you want to buy this, you can find it on Cokesbury and probably on Amazon as well. The author's name is Susan Robb. And then Mike is also teaching a study on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock down in the fellowship hall on that book. And it also has videos that go along with it. So just so you know, we're we're trying to to do a church-wide study the best that we can. And Mike and I are going to be using that book during our sermons and our sermon prep to pull ideas and inspiration and direction for all of these, all of these different uh, words that Jesus says from the cross. So this morning, we're going to look at the first of the seven words that Jesus speaks from the cross in the gospel of Luke. And it's the phrase, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are Doing A phrase that I'm sure many of you have heard and are aware that Jesus says while he's being crucified. So we're going to read the scripture in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to let you know that my hope for this morning is that we will be able to answer two questions together when we finish looking at this scripture. The first question is, who is Jesus forgiving? Father, forgive them. Who is the them? Who who is Jesus forgiving here? And the second question is, how can we forgive like Jesus? So that's where I want to go with it. Just so you know, I want us to read the scripture and then we'll, we'll jump in. So we're in Luke 23. We're in verses 32 through 34. It's a pretty short reading for this morning. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing, and they cast lots to divide his clothing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, first question, who is Jesus forgiving? Who is included in the them? Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they are doing. And so we've skipped a lot of the story to get up to this moment. We left off last week in the Gospel of John, finishing up our series on the seven signs, and then we jumped all the way to the cross, which means we've really skipped a lot of the narrative that gets Jesus from public ministry to being on a cross. But if we remember what has happened, even just briefly, then there's a lot of really obvious answers to that question, who is, who is the them? Surely Jesus would have been talking about the people who were casting lots to divide his clothing, right? That makes a lot of sense. Surely they were included in the them. And of course, Jesus is probably talking about the people that physically put him up on the cross, right? That physically stretched his arms out and, and, and all of that stuff, right? Surely he's talking about them. I bet he's talking about and thinking of the people that beat him and the people that flogged him and, and the people who spat on him as he carried the cross up the hill. I bet Jesus is talking about the person that put the crown of thorns on his head. I mean, right, there's obvious answers to this question, isn't there? Surely all those people are included in the them. And I, I'm assuming that certainly the people that were in power are included in the them. The people like Herod, right, that maybe could have done something to stop this. Or Pilate for giving in to the chance of crucify him when he seemed to know better. But the them doesn't stop there. It even goes into the disciples, right? Peter for his denial of Christ and Judas for his betrayal of Christ. But I don't think it stops there either because I think the them that Jesus is referencing here includes everyone who has had a hand in crucifying Jesus. And the hard truth that I was hit with really early on in my week because of Susan's book and the language that she uses in it is that the them includes us. It does. I mean, we have to get through all those obvious answers first, but then where we're left with and where she leads us in the book is that, is that the them really does include us. And she even uses the language, we help crucify Jesus. Some of the stuff she says, we, we help crucify Jesus when we, like Pilate, don't stand up for what we know is best. We help crucify Jesus when we use our words to hurt others. We help crucify Jesus when we put our own interest above the interest of God. And when we do that, we're no better than Judas. When we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, I think we play a hand in crucifying Jesus. When we don't see the divine image of God in every person that we meet, like we know we're called to, we, you, get, you get where I'm going. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think our tendency with this scripture, my tendency this week, was to skip straight to the second question, right? How can we forgive like Jesus? But I think the harder thing to do is to just pause for a moment. And realize that we are just as much in need of forgiveness as anyone that we find in the scriptures. And when we do that, it's uncomfortable. But when we do that for just, for just a moment, I think these words begin to take on a whole new meaning for us. Or at least they began to take on a whole new meaning for me this week. Because you realize that Jesus isn't just talking to them. He's talking, he's talking to me. And then you begin to realize that you're the one who's being forgiven. And then you realize that Jesus doesn't wait until after his resurrection to forgive. And you begin to see that, that Jesus is asking his father to forgive his killers while he's being 
killed. And at least for me this week, it just, all that started to hold a little bit more weight in my heart. And I think there's even more for us if we, if we stay down this path. Because in saying what he says on the cross and speaking to his killers, Jesus is showing that through him, by the way of the cross, that no one has to be defined by their worst actions. So, I mean, what this means is that whatever you've done, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever ways you've betrayed Jesus, whatever things you've left undone, the regrets that you live with, the things that you wish you could go back and change, the things that you consider to be your worst mistakes in life, they do not define you in the eyes of Jesus. They just don't. That's the power. That's the hope. That's the grace of the gospel. And we see Jesus showing it to us all over again through those simple words on the cross. But you know as well as I do that we can't stop there. You know as well as I do that that we as Christians are called to repent of our sins. We're called to to seek and find forgiveness at the cross and, and to know and internalize that power and that hope that we call the gospel. And that's part of it. But we're also called to be a, a people that are doing our best to look like Jesus. So maybe some of you see where I'm going with this, right? Jesus doesn't define us by the worst things that we have ever done. Which means if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to seek to be the hands and feet of Christ and live out the love and the grace that he lived with his life, it means that we shouldn't define others by the worst things that they've done either. I think specifically for us, we shouldn't be defining our enemies by the worst things that they've ever done. Susan, in her book, calls it radical forgiveness, that that we are called to practice and and to be a people that embody the radical forgiveness that we see Jesus embody and exhibit on the cross. A people that are trying to see other people the way that Jesus sees us. A people that are not, thanks to the grace and the power found in Christ Jesus, defining others by the worst things that they have ever done. And all that sounds great, doesn't it? All that sounds so good on paper. Don't you just wish you could just turn that switch in your brain and just go from not living that out to suddenly living that out? Wouldn't it be great if that was how we actually treated one another? Wouldn't it be great if that's what we as Christians were known for? Not judging others by the worst things that they've ever done to us? Wouldn't it be great if that was what our church was known for? The question is how? How? How do we do that? How in the world do we actually become a people that are living this out? How do we start that process of looking more and more like Jesus in this moment? How in the world do we answer our second question? How can we forgive like Jesus? Because when you phrase it like that, when we phrase that question like that, to me, it feels impossible, doesn't it? Well, no one can forgive like Jesus. He's Jesus. We can't do that. And this especially gets, it gets tricky when we talk about people that have hurt us. When we talk about not defining our enemies by the worst things they've ever done to us, when those things are still causing us harm, 
and pain and, and, and they still sting a little bit or we still feel the shock of those actions upon our life? How do we forgive people like that in our life, like Jesus? How do we practice radical forgiveness for those people? How do we forgive like Jesus? And I think the answer to that question is not just found in what Jesus says, but how he says it. A common question that gets asked about this phrase that Jesus says from the cross, that if you were to crack open some commentaries, you would see people kind of argue about this a little bit, is why didn't Jesus just forgive their sins right then and there? Why did he ask God to forgive their sins? Because he's forgiven sins before in this gospel, in the gospel of Luke. In Luke 5, when Jesus heals a paralyzed man who was lowered down to Jesus by his friends through the roof, Jesus sees the friend's faith, and then he looks at the man and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then just a few verses later, Jesus explicitly says, speaking about himself, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And the same kind of thing happens again in Luke 7, where Jesus forgives somebody of their sins. The point is that Jesus made it really clear in the Gospel of Luke that he can do this, that he has the power and the authority to be the one forgiving sins. So why didn't Jesus do it here? Why didn't Jesus do it when he was on the cross? Why did instead he say, Father, you forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing. And I'm sure there are several reasons why. But I think, I think one of them is to try and set an example for us. Because if you look at what Jesus is doing on the cross here, and you look at what he says... Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Pay attention to how he says it. Jesus is praying for his persecutors. That's what I realized this week. That's what he's doing here. Jesus is praying for his persecutors. He's praying for the people that got him into this situation. Jesus is praying for the people who are seeking to cause him harm. He's on the cross praying for the people who put him there. I'll agree with you that we can't do what Jesus does in chapters 5 and in chapter 7. We can't forgive sins like that. Only, only God can do that. But man, we can pray for people. We can. We, we can pray for people who've hurt us. We can pray for our enemies. We can pray for folks that we know we need to forgive, but we, we don't know how. We don't know where to start. I think Jesus on the cross is showing us how to forgive like he does. And I don't think we should be surprised at all that it starts with prayer. You see that, right? If we really want to be a people that are living this out, it all starts with prayer. I think this moment shows us that forgiving like Jesus is maybe way simpler than we ever thought it was. To just be willing to pray for people who've wronged us. 
My hope is that this morning we'd, we'd walk away with two really simple, crystal clear realizations for us as we start the journey of Lent. The first is that we are a part of the they. If you were here for Ash Wednesday, then you know that we really drove that home, right? Because Ash Wednesday, this, the kicking off moment of Lent is all about realizing our own sin, realizing our mortality, and realizing our need and total dependence on God. And so I wanted to be sure to hit that this week in case you weren't able to make it to that service, that, that we are a part of the them. We have to start Lent with that in the front of our brains. Father, forgive them. We, you, and me are in need of forgiveness. The second thing is this, that we are called not only to follow Christ with our faith, but also with our actions and the way that we live and how we treat people in our lives, which means that we are people to do all that we can to forgive like Jesus to follow his lead, to do our best to see people in our lives through a lens of grace and peace and a willingness to be a people of radical forgiveness. And that if you don't know where to start with that, the best place you can start is to pray. To pray for someone that you feel like God has put on your heart that you know you need to forgive, but you don't really know where to start or how to do it. Pray for the the ability to act in a way that's forgiving. And recognize that, that forgiveness is a, is a journey. It's not a box that we can check whenever we feel like it. It, it. it takes time. And sometimes you just have to start with prayer and be willing to see where the Spirit is going to lead you on that journey. My prayer for us this week is that we would see the reality of our need for forgiveness. And that we would remember Jesus' response. And that after we make that realization, after we really sit with that for just a moment and realize our need for forgiveness, after that, and only after that, that we would begin to follow Jesus' lead and be a people that are willing to practice radical forgiveness. And that we might just see what God does with those prayers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning in to our message this week in The Gathering. I hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. Of course, you're welcome to join us any week at 10 a.m. on Sundays, either here in this space or on our live stream for worship. And of course, you can check us out on our website at www.bluffparkumc.org to find out more about who we are as a church, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of that. Feel free to reach out and contact us with any questions or concerns you may have. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.